Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We're going to spend the next few weeks on these few verses here that wrap up chapter 1. We're going to talk today about the value of human life. Next week, we're going to talk about the responsibility that God has given to us in this earth, where he talks about having dominion, subduing the earth. And then we're going to get into a very, very uh, heated topic and one that uh, you're very well aware of today, and we're going to talk about gender. And so that's going to be towards the end of the month, but uh, I want you to be praying really for these particular sermons as we come to these things. But let's pray tonight as we consider this subject, the value of human life. Lord, I thank you for tonight. Pray that you'd help us, guide my lips, and may you help us to truly be uh, considerate and obedient to the things that you have for us here. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world that has devalued human life. And it's amazing to me to whether, whether it's by way of the news, by way of things that I hear in talking to people, that I'm constantly getting this picture in our world that people don't value human life like God does. God stamped upon mankind his very image. Now, before we discuss this whole subject, it's quite interesting once again to note God's progression in creation. And keep this in mind, God is a God of order, and everything that God does God has a reason why he does it. It's very well evident in the sequence of God's creation why and how he did everything. Let me just review what we went over a couple weeks ago. On one of the early days, God created light, which helped differentiate from darkness. And what did this do? This commenced time. God then created the firmament to house the sun, the moon, and the stars but they couldn't be put in place until time had started. God then created dry land to decorate it with the vegetation and plants and trees. But notice that time had to have started first in order that there might be seasons for blooming and flowering. God then moved forward to make the creatures to fill the waters and the skies. He made the fishes of all diverse kinds and colors he made all the birds of various shapes and sizes and colors and features. And someone asked, well, why didn't God create those creatures earlier? Because God needed to create the vegetation first that they could go ahead and partake of. The birds needed trees to rest upon and food to eat. Therefore, they were made after the vegetation. What am I trying to get at? God is a God of order. And then we come to the sixth day 
And what does God do along with creating the creatures? He creates the pinnacle of his creation, mankind. Now you say, preacher, how do you know this was the pinnacle of his creation? Well, I want you to notice the language of the chapter as we walk through this. When God created everything else, that is the sun, moon, stars, grass, trees, all of that, there's a very impersonal touch to it as we see the words, let there be. Let me note it. Let me help you note this for just a moment. Look at verse number three. God said, let there be light. Look at verse six. God said, let there be a firmament. Verse nine, God said, let the waters. Verse 11, God said, let the earth bring forth. Verse number 14, God said, let there be lights. Verse 20, let the waters bring forth. Verse 24, let the earth bring forth. Do you get the impersonal touch of all this? Now I want you to notice here, when it comes to man, here's what God says in verse 26. He's talking to the other members of the Trinity, let us make. Wow. You see the interest God has in you? You see the personal touch that God has for mankind? But something else that I notice here in regards to why I say this is a pinnacle of God's creation is that while God made many different kinds of animals and creatures, he made one of mankind, male and female. Now, is it not interesting how scientists have classified millions of different species? Do you realize there's more than 800,000 different kinds of insects? You say, I've met a few thousand of those being out here in Florida. I understand that. There's more than 30,000 different kinds of fish, over 9,000 kinds of birds, over 6,000 kinds of reptiles, 3,000 kinds of amphibians, over 5,000 kinds of mammals. And yet, out of all of those creatures, God decided to make man in his image. That's the pinnacle of his creation. So let's explore these three verses that I read that are, serve as our text tonight, and let's find out the meaning and the relevance here that God created man in his image. Note that phrase, and that's one phrase I want you to walk away with, is that God created man in his image. Four things I want to give to you. Number one, I want you to notice the description of this image the description of this image. Now, it's very important for us to understand the meaning of this term, the image of God. Now, when we think of image, what do we think of? We think of a copy. We think of a picture. If I had in my pocket a quarter and I were to pull that out, I would show you on the quarter an image of George Washington, our first president. Or if I pulled out a dime, I'd show you an image of our 32nd president, Franklin Roosevelt, or so on and so forth. But really, they're images. They're not the president themselves or the person themselves. It's an image. It looks like them, who they are. So you say, well, preacher, does that mean that if we're created in the image of God, that means we look like God? No, I want to tell you something. God has no body. The Bible says in John 4, 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. 
God is a spirit and therefore does not have a body like man. So what does it mean then that God has created us in his image if it doesn't mean physical likeness? Because you say, well, preacher, I've been reading through the Bible and I've noticed a few things that it says about God. Have you ever heard some of these statements here? Some of the human features applied to God where the Bible says that the earth is his footstool, Acts 7.51. So you kind of picture God just kind of on a particular sunny afternoon just kind of putting his hands behind his head, sticking his feet on the earth and saying, you know, I'm going to take a little break today. Or we think of this where the Bible talks about in Isaiah 59 verse 1 that the arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save. So we think to ourselves, well, God's got an arm. And then we think to ourselves that when we read about Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, how the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was upon Joseph. What does it mean when it uses these terms of God? Well, these are what we call anthropomorphisms. They're human features that are applied to God because he, does, he actually, not because he possesses these features, but it helps us understand more about God when it talks about the hand of the Lord or so on and so forth. So preacher, if we're not created in the image of God in the sense that we look like him because God doesn't have a body, he's a spirit, then what is this image? What's the description? Well, it's a mental likeness. Do you realize God endowed man with intellectual ability, which is far superior than that of any animal? Man was given a mind capable of hearing and understanding God's communication to him. Man was given emotions that are capable of responding to God's love and devotion. And God gave man a will which enabled him to choose whether or not he's going to obey God. Man's equipped with the ability to love God and obey Him forever. And therefore, God has created man in His image, a mental likeness, but it was also a moral likeness. Man, only man of all God's creatures has a spirit or God consciousness, that is, a capacity for knowing God and being able to have spiritual communion with God. Now, since the fall, man has had this inborn moral awareness of good and evil or a conscience which he perceives in his spirit. And that's the moral likeness here. But also there's a social likeness. And I'm going to develop these as we move along. But what I want you to see in this description here is that we're created in the image of God, not a physical likeness, but a mental, a moral, and a social likeness of God. Notice number two of this image of God is the distinctiveness of this image. Now, I want you to notice here the way God created everything. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 1. Notice verse 11 when God created the plants. God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. Every one of the plants that you see have, if you will, if I can use this term, has a body, a blade of grass, if you will. That's, that's the body of that blade of grass. 
a particular flower with its stem and whatever flower petals are on top, that is the body, but it is of the earth itself very simply. But now notice verse number 21. God created great whales in every living creature. I want you to note that word creature. I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. Every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, after every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that was good. The word creature in verse number 21 comes from the Hebrew word nefesh, which means soul. Now, soul is that which allows something to connect with its surroundings. I'm going to just kid a little bit here. I'm not an animal person. So whatever I say tonight in regards to animals, it's not because I dislike animals. I just choose not to have one in my household. I'll visit yours and say hi, and I can leave. But I know that an animal, as I've been around, does show emotions. There are certain things that they'll sense. There is a certain amount of intelligence that they have, but not in the same capacity that man has. So animals are different than plants, which plants simply have a body. They just simply relate to the material world around them. But animals now have a little bit more than that. There's a sense of, of a, a body that they, they're, they're in, and then there's this soul, this connection with their surroundings. But I want you to notice now man, man being created in the image of God. And I'm going to develop this here, but I want you to understand that while there is a body with the plant and a soul and a body with an animal, man is the only one that is made of three parts, body, soul, spirit. What's the spirit? The ability to communicate with God. When's the last time you saw an animal praying for its food before it ate? When's the last time you saw an animal at the altar worshiping God? I'm being a little facetious here, but that is what differentiates us, mankind, from animals. Now, what does all this mean here, this distinctiveness? Let's flesh this out a bit. Let's think about this mental likeness for just a moment. Man is made in the image of God in the sense that he has the ability to reason, to think, to communicate with its creator. This is a reflection of God's intellect and his freedom. None of the other created beings have that. Man's intellectual gifts are further seen in the ability that he has to design things and to make them. The ability to appreciate beauty, to compose music, to paint pictures, to write essays, to count to large numbers and do mathematics, to control and use energy for its own benefit, things like fire, electricity, nuclear power. Mankind has the ability to organize, to reason, to make decisions, to be self-conscious, to laugh at himself, to think abstractly. That's the intellect. That is what God has placed within man that is different than any other being. All this behavior being distinct from the animals is what Psalm 32 verse 9 says, Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose mouth must be held with bit and bridle. So let me ask you a question. Which animals have learned to read and write? 
Which animals have been uh, acted with deliberate purpose? Which animals have set out goals for themselves and achieved long-range objectives? I mean, when's the last time you heard a sheep kind of talk and say, you know what, I'm going to have plans in about a year to get out of this sheep pen. I mean, it just, there's no planning as far as that. There's no setting the objectives. That's the difference that mankind has. Which animals, may I ask you, are creative? They don't change the world that they live in. The creativity we observe in them is instinctive. For instance, let me give you an example. Birds build their nest, but every year and every nest seems to have the same design, does it not? Birds never think to themselves, well, you know what? I'd like to have a lanage that I'd like to add on to this nest here. Or I'd like to make a, my, my, my little master bedroom, I'd like to make that a little bit bigger and do this. No, I want to tell you something. There's just something instinctive in just making a nest for housing them. But it is mankind that has the ability to have that creativity. Let's think for just a moment about the moral or spiritual likeness. I mentioned earlier here how man is made as a spirit, soul, and body. That's the tripart of man. Man is made, and you say, well, why is that? Why is it that man is made like that? Well, think about it. Being made in the image of God, what is God? God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know how God made us here? As a tripart being. As our body what do I relate with? I relate with the physical world. Having a body here, I I need to eat. I need to fill my body with food so I can have energy to move this body. But I also have a soul where I have the ability to communicate with others and communicate with the animals if I so desire to communicate with them. Communicate with with my surroundings here. That's, That's the soul aspect. But now where man is different is the spirit. I have the ability to communicate with God. And how wonderful it is that as God made man in his mental likeness and moral likeness, that God saw all that he had made, humanity included, and he called it very good. So now notice the description of this image, the distinctiveness of this image, but now let's take note of the design of this image. It's quite interesting to me to see that God has a purpose in what he creates. You realize God doesn't waste anything? God, he doesn't waste anything. God doesn't say, oh, that, that, was, that was awful. Let me throw that away. God, when he creates something, has a purpose in everything. And when he created man, he set man out with a plan. Now, next week when we talk about man and his ability to rule this world and have dominion. We're going to talk more about this plan that God has, but I want to just note a couple of things here. How God made a distinction between mankind and animals in the fact that man's fellowship was with one another. Notice here what is spelled out in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, over the cattle, over every creeping thing upon the earth. But now I want you to note verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and 
multiply. And God, in verse 27, in that verse in between, God brought man and woman together here for this fellowship. Now, I understand there's a certain fellowship amongst animals, if you will, if you want to use the term fellowship, of a, of a coming together, but there's something very special about humanity. Second thing is God made a distinction between mankind and animals in the fact that mankind was to steward the world. That's what he says in verse 28 about subdue it and have dominion. And that's the other distinction is that God gave to mankind the ability to have dominion. Now think with me about this dominion aspect. It's not Fido the dog or Simba the cat that has dominion over the world. It's you and me. We're the ones with dominion. We exercise authority. We are the ones to bring order into chaos. God didn't give that to the animals. Animals, to a certain degree, are chaotic, if you will, if I can use that word. We bring order into their chaos. This is why we train animals or could I say to some of you, you need to train your animals, okay? Um, that's coming from a veterinarian over here. Um, but that will never be the role of dogs or horses or monkeys, despite whatever Hollywood does in creating movies. There's chaos revolved around them, and we are here to bring dominion. You and I will rule, will exercise authority and dominion, and it's because God has granted that to us because we're made in His image. Now, I want to say, and I'll talk more about this next week, when it comes to the dominion of animals, God's dominion order is an order that brings about peace. Now, though I may not be much of an animal lover, I am against animal cruelty. It's awful. I don't, I don't, when, when somebody does something cruel to an animal, I, I, don't, I don't think it's right. And I'm not talking about as far as killing of animals for the purpose of eating. But I'm talking about being cruel, torturing. God didn't give man to rule over animals for that. He gave them to have dominion to use for the purposes to have the betterment of life. And so, what a beautiful thing to see the design in this image. But now I want you to notice, lastly, the dignity of this image. It is from here, moving forward, that God's plan is with and for mankind. While animals enjoy the earth, make use of it, I want you to think of God's interest in mankind. Did not God make a garden specifically for mankind? All through the Bible, does not God speak to mankind? Is it not for humanity that God gave His dear Son? So why don't you think about this? The very image of God that you and I are creating the image, there's a dignity of it in the fact that God spent time to let us know all the things that He created but they were for us to enjoy, and God's special interest is with you and with me. It's the beauty of this. What God did for Adam and Eve in making them in His image, He did not do for the rest of creation. Now, 
It's wonderful to look all around at all of the different types of animals, the different shapes and sizes and functions and, and the various things that we can see about the creativity of God. I mean, isn't it amazing to look at a, 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 the, the colors on a zebra and then to see the size of a giraffe and then to see a little koala bear and just think of all the different animals. The kangaroo, how it has a pouch to, to care for its youngins and, and on and on the creativity that God has in all these animals. It's, it's amazing to me. But it is only in man that God stamped his very image None of the sea creatures, none of the stars, the moon, all of the things that we see out there can have fellowship with the Creator. Only man can do that. Now, to me, it takes all into consideration this aspect. I've talked about the mental likeness, the moral likeness, but I want you to consider this dignity in the fact that you and I have this social likeness, this fellowship with God and this wonderful fellowship with one another. God's social nature, His intrinsic love is seen in the very doctrine of the Trinity. Remember the very first week when I talked about God, I said God is love. When we said God is love, that means God has always been that way. Now, if God's always been love, how in the world was God love before he ever created us? Well, within the persons of the Trinity, God the Father loved God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son loved God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit loved God the Father. And there was a beautiful love relationship and a fellowship and a social construct within the Trinity. And therefore, when God created us in his image, he gave us the ability to take those emotions and every part of us and to have a social aspect with fellow beings and with God himself, unlike the animals. Socially, humanity was created for fellowship. Now, I know there's some of you out here that like to be hermits. And you'd rather be alone. But God really didn't create us to be that way. God created us to be connected with one another. And every time somebody marries or makes a friend or hugs someone else or attends church, you know what he's demonstrating? He's demonstrating the fact that he is made in the image of God. And that means that our relationship with one another is different. Relationships that you and I have are very important to understand, and they're far different than the animals. The other day, my wife and I had gotten up. I was sitting out. I had just finished reading my Bible, and there were two ducks that had come along. And they were cute. I'm telling you, one of them was just quacking away. The other one was just kind of eating as he's going along. It was just cute, just watching them. They got in the canal. And they began to float towards the center of the canal. My wife was standing out there, and all of a sudden I looked out, and here's a gator coming from the other side. And both my wife and I, I mean, we're cheering on for this duck to get out of the way. Oh, my, I hope the gator doesn't get him. Well, they finally flew off to the other side, and then the gator came back, and he, it looked like he was going for them again, but they got up on the dry land on the other side. 
Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Here's the difference between mankind and us, and I'm going to be facetious with this. I thank the Lord that the ducks got out, but if the gator attacked and killed one or both of those ducks, there's not any animal in the animal kingdom that's also going to have PTSD because a duck all of a sudden got killed by a gator. There'd be no other ducks out there that would say, oh my word, did you see that? We're going to have to investigate this. We're going to have to file a report because there was a duck that was killed. No, I want to tell you something. This happens in the animal world. This happens out there, but this is where you and I are different. And here's where I want to conclude with you tonight. Here is what I brought all of this down to share with you tonight. Three thoughts I want to give to you. Number one, I must value the life of other human beings. Because you and I are created in the image of God, you and I must value the life of other human beings. How so? Well, turn, if you will, just a few chapters over in the book of Genesis, chapter number 9, and notice verse number 6. Now, I've wanted to say a joke all night about, about Becky Kalinas. Becky is my dog lover. If ever I want to talk about dogs and animals and various things, I always think about Becky or I think about Christina and uh, Ken Wilkinson. And um, I have a funny story to tell you about Ken and Christina sometime, but I'll, I'll tell that at a later time. But notice Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, why is that statement made? I want you to notice the last part. For in the image of God made he man. Do you realize that the person who murders another person is striking the image of God in that other person? The image of God functions ethically and morally as a warrant for capital punishment. Now, even though at this point, Sin had already entered in. Just because sin has come about doesn't mean we cease being in the image of God. But let me carry further about murder, and that is abortion. Carried with the aspect of murder would be the murder of the unborn. You say, well, pastor, you know, science is discussing here, you know, when life actually begins. Let's get in our minds here right now. Life begins at conception. And when you start messing with life within the womb, you're messing with what God has done. In fact, there's laws that were given in the Old Testament about what would happen if a lady was pregnant and that child died. What did God see about that child in the womb? That was life. I must value the life of other human beings, murder, abortion, euthanasia. I'm not going to talk about that much tonight, but I, I want you to think about this you know, back, many of you remember Jack Kevorkian years ago and the doctor of death and all that type of stuff. I'm, I'm just telling you, we must value human life. Amen. But it doesn't just come in the taking of another life. How about cursing? James chapter 3, verse number 9, Therefore bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Now, husbands... I want you to listen to me. If you curse your wife out 
and you call her nasty names, you may say, well, this is my wife. I can do what I want. You are going against James chapter 3, verse 9. Because you are hurting someone who is created in the image of God. You curse somebody else out that you don't know. You, you speak evil of somebody. You say some filthy words about them. This idea of cursing, what are you doing? You're hurting someone else, but it's not just hurting them. You're attacking the very image of God in them. I think when it comes to valuing the life of human other, other human beings, I think you and I ought to think of things like human trafficking, slavery. Now, human trafficking, you may not realize, but if you just Google in and do some statistics, it is amazing how many children are part of the human trafficking world in various other countries. And every Christian ought to stand up against this. Why? Because that young child who may be used for her body for the sake of everyone else, that child is created in the image of God. Why we stand against slavery, why Christians always should have stood against slavery is because every person... Forget what America's founding is. Forget the fact we were found as a free nation. Every person is created in the image of God. Eighteen fifty-seven. There was a landmark case called the Dred Scott versus Sanford. In this particular case, Dred Scott sued for the right to be a free man, and the Supreme Court of the United States, on a seventeen to two vote said that African Americans were not American citizens and therefore were not able to tap into the justice system of this country. But there were two dissenting votes. One of those dissenting votes was the Supreme Court Justice John McLean. And here's what he said. A slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker and he is destined to an endless existence. And I want to tell you something. What he understood was this, that people are made in the image of God. So I want to tell you something, that if we understand Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, then we understand this, that we have to value life. Why do we stand against abortion? Why are we, why do we stand against murder and euthanasia and human trafficking and all these other things? Because of the fact that every human being is created in the image of God. But number two, I want you to note this. I am somebody. You are somebody. I don't know about you, but I feel for kids today especially kids in middle school. I was a principal of our Christian school for a number of years, and honestly, if I could have withdrew the grades 6, 7, and 8, it would have made our school so peaceable. (laughs) Truthfully, the name-calling, the making fun of, everything in those grades, it was just awful. And kids are coming into their own. They're all of a sudden maybe getting zits on their face or they're realizing, you know, girls are like really tall, boys are still short. You know, they haven't, everything hasn't even out as of yet. And kids make fun of each other and they go through all sorts of things. And, but I want to tell you something. Every person is important to God. 
God created you in His image. And He created you exactly as He wanted to create you. It saddens my soul when people change things in their body. Now again, I know we're not created in that physical likeness of God, but I'm telling you something. When God created you, He put His creativity in you. And it's important for parents and grandparents and the home to reinforce with a child that whatever defects they may have or whatever problems they may see about themselves, that God uniquely created them that way and to accept it. How sad it is that kids go through and begin marking their bodies to maybe hide things or to enhance things about their body. Truthfully, most today, as far as marking the body, is basically because they, some have not accepted who they are. And I want to encourage you that as a church, when we have children come in here, please don't say to children, oh, I, I can't believe you're like this or like that. Accept them right where they are. Kids need to know that they're accepted. And when they can hear in a church that they're accepted, it'll help them realize God's created me just as I am. Do you know, I can talk about kids, but let me just talk about adults for just a moment. How many people have been in accidents and have lost the use of their legs? How many times have people, as they've gotten older, found that they are not useful like they once were? You see, it doesn't mean that when God made you in His image, that He made you in His image for the time of your youth and strength. You are a person in the image of God from the day that you're born till the day that you die. And I want to shout this from the rooftops here because it's very important in a church where we live in a town where the mean age is 64 years old and people come into these old ages and they begin to regret this time of life and say, well, I can't do the things that I used to do. And I get it. Things change. You can't do what you used to do, but find something to do with God because you are made in the image of God And God has something special for you. You are somebody. You're special. You mean a lot to God. God knows who you are. Other people may not know who you are, but God knows who you are. And you're somebody. But lastly, would you notice this? I have purpose in my life. That is, God God has something for you. If you're made in the image of God, God didn't waste you. Figure out what God has for you. If you're a young person here tonight, a teenager, and you're kind of skirting through life and trying to figure out, well, I don't don't know what I want to do, figure it out. And I tell you, the moment you figure out what God has for you, the more meaningful life will be. You know why meaningful life is meaningful for me right now as a preacher? Because I am saddled in where I know God has me, and life is so fulfilling because this is what God has for me. And how beautiful. And whether you're out there, you're an electrician, or you're a plumber, or you're a doctor, or you're working uh, yard work, or whatever it is that you're doing, or you're retired now, whatever it is that you're doing, find the purpose that God has for you and fulfill it, because you are created in the image of God. Now you say, Pastor, I I get all that. I I mean, okay, so I'm creating the image of God, but honestly, 
What is all that about? Well, I want to just share a story that's shared in three gospel records that I think is very important. Do you remember one day Jesus had the Pharisees come and they basically asked a question of him to trap him in his own words? They wanted to trap him. The religious leaders asked Jesus if the people of God should pay their taxes to Caesar by paying the annual poll tax. Now, the poll tax was a Roman imperial tax that went directly to Caesar, the leader of the Roman Empire. Now, think about this. Here's why they thought they would trap Jesus by asking this question. Because if Jesus answered that question in the affirmative, it may have seemed that he was disloyal to God. But if Jesus stated that they should not pay the tax, then he'd be in opposition to the Roman government. So what does Jesus do? Give me a coin. Somebody reaches in their pocket, pulls out a coin. And I love the question that Jesus asks as he looks at the coin and shows it up. Whose image and superscription? Well, the image on the coin was an impression of Caesar. That was a representation of Caesar himself. Jesus concluded this whole time frame by stating that the people of Israel should give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's his tax. But give to God what is his and whose is God's? Us. So think about this. Let me ask you this question. Whose image are you? You're God's. No, you don't look like God, but you're created in that moral likeness, that mental likeness, that social likeness. And God stamped these things in you, and therefore, everything about your life is to God, because you're His image. So does that help you with life? You say tonight, well, preacher, you know, I'm a little discouraged about my life and various other things. Remember who you are. You're made in the image of God. You're not, I mean, sorry about the animals, but you're not an animal just kind of in a little pen locked up. You're not like some of the other creatures that are made. You are made in the image of God. And I'm telling you, this whole aspect of being made in the image of God is what is going to be the springboard for some of our next messages because when we begin to talk about gender and how people say there's a fluidity in gender, that I can just, I'm a boy, but you know what? I I think I'm going to be a girl today. Or I'm this or I'm that. You know what's happened? They forgot that they're created in the image of God. And this is the basis of everything about our personhood. Who are you tonight? Don't get wrapped up in the way the world defines you. I've tried not to ask this question, but sometimes I ask, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a plumber. But truthfully, that doesn't define the whole life of a person. If somebody asks me, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a preacher, as if that's to define my whole life, but I'm a preacher. Yes, that encompasses a great part of my life, but I'm a husband. I'm a father. 
I'm a friend to many. And that's who I am. Amen. Who are you? Who are you? You are created in the image of God. Don't let the world define who you are. Come back to the scriptures. And let's see from God's word. You're created in his image.